you so much for joining us today. This is RIT Podcast. This is Isaiah Diesel. And thank you for joining us today, Darrington, again. Hey, thanks for having me. I always enjoy this little uh, conversation of ours. Yeah, actually, we were just talking uh, briefly right now about the importance of having something like this. I mean, you're up early on a Saturday morning, and it is 1 o'clock here in South Korea. Uh, so I really appreciate your time, Darrington. Um, you are a very worthy adversary. I'll say that much. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I uh, don't know if that's necessarily the case, but it, it's always a pleasure, you know, going back and forth. And You know, that, that's a bit of a joke because uh, I, I certainly don't see you as an adversary. In fact, in the grand scheme of everything, I actually see you more as an ally than anything because actually you and I share a lot of common values so, so here's, here's a quick recap of my story that uh, I went to Bible college my freshman year to kind of appease my mom, wind up dropping out, becoming an atheist. And then, actually, I didn't know what I, I would say the last month I was there, I didn't really know what to call myself. But then I went to community college and started taking philosophy. And that's, I think our professor was an atheist. And so he kind of helped me step into that uh, into that realm using like logic and science and reasoning and so uh, later on I did wind up going back to Bible college not even as a believer just like trying to find God I had uh, mm -hmm. digested like 150 sleeping pills and I had to spend like three days in the hospital and uh, I felt my like I felt like I was trying to I was searching for God so by the time I went back into there, I already had an associate's degree, and I already understood argument and logic and all those kind of things. So when I went back to Bible college the second time, I was just evaluating what the people were say and saying, and a lot of times just simply did not add up, you know? So my background is in philosophy, and uh, I, I do, you know, I do try to take those principles and apply it to religion. And so when I meet people like you who are capable of logical, rational thinking, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, you're kind of like a jewel out there, I'd say, because a lot of people don't operate that, just, they operate in, in a realm of, of uh, emotion and fallacy, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, I was thinking recently about that phenomenon where, like, what is it, what is it that makes, like, um, me being an atheist, like, because um, there's a there's a certain quality I think of uh, not just atheists, but a certain certain type of person who just takes the whole uh, takes the whole philosophy and logic question and sort of cosmic questions to a completely different level than most people do. Most people go about their lives. They're like, I go to church on Sunday, or I don't go to church on Sunday. Mm -hmm. They just live their lives. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think for us, it's, this is a very, very important question because we're very good at following the, you know, the, the trail of crumbs that gets left by our everyday conversations. Coming to different conclusions is, is, is possible, but I think as long as we're using uh, rationality and, and sound reasoning, then uh, we can have meaningful discussions. You know, if I'm going to come out and just name call or try to try to throw mud at you or try to present my side my side as being totally flawless uh i think we're gonna have some trouble you know we're gonna have some trouble 
some very fundamental steps, you know, like along the way, we're going to get tripped up is what I mean, because that's been the one thing that I have been very cognizant to try not to present. One, first of all, I'm a very flawed person. One, two, is that I don't understand everything, you know what I mean? There's a lot of gaps inside of theology that, you know, simply I just don't understand. And even talking to atheists, talking to Muslims, talking to deists, the agnostics, I mean, I've learned a lot in the last few months. So uh, I'm really grateful for your uh, contribution. I posted from a book of uh, a book uh, called How to Win Friends, Friends and Influence People, like the proper ways how to argue um, mm -hmm. without getting, you know, emotion into it. And one of the things was avoid your first instinct because it's very frequently wrong. And, and I can't even tell you how many times my intuition has been wrong with people and situations where I thought was right and it turns out not to be right. The way you describe this, and I don't know, I would like some more clarity because <laughs> when I heard you say that uh, atheists just need to wait it out, um, what registered into my mind was that essentially uh, athe or theists are going to grow up and then after they grew up, after they mature, they're not going to have religion anymore. And then kind of like the, <laughs> the, the atheists will just come in and, uh, and save the day or whatever. But the way that you said it the other day, I think you might have been, in the last time we recorded, I think you might have been, I think you might have meant something totally different. So I would just like you to elaborate on that, please. Um, yeah, so... You know, we've been seeing a lot of situations where, um, particularly in the United States, which, which is where I have most of my, you know, all of my experience. But um, so as I see, we've been seeing a lot of people leave the faith um, because the of the church tying itself to a particular political ideology. Mm -hmm or the church tying itself to a particular set of dogmas that have not aged well over time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are doctrines um, within the church that seem very primitive and archaic uh, to a modern person. And, you know, a lot of the youths are recognizing this. We're an educated population now. We can read the Bible ourselves. We can, you know, find the fallacies in uh, what the flawed church is, is uh, passing down to us. And um, that is, that's sort of what I meant is that not that we're going to save the day. We're not heroes. Um, we're not superior. You know, the, the, the atheist is not superior in any way. We're all humans. We're all mm -hmm. pretty much on the same level. I'm superhuman, um, but okay. <laughs> but, but the church itself will tear itself apart. Mm -hmm by embracing, you know, false ideologies, um, such as, I don't know, certain right-wing factionalism. Yeah. Um, and, and the next generation sees that, mm -hmm. right? So when you preach about, you know, if, if there's a Baptist preacher preaching from the pulpit about Jesus and then supporting someone like Donald Trump, you know, that there's a hypocrisy there yeah, that the simple. next generation is seeing and they just leave the church, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's kind of what I meant is that we don't have to do anything. The church does it to itself. Got it. 
And I'm really, really glad that we clarified that point because when I heard it, uh, I did laugh it off, but that was my uh, interpretation at the time. Maybe I should have asked for clarification, but already I was thinking, you know, okay, I prefer, I prefer a little bit of cheeky humor. I prefer a little bit of maybe some subtle jabs, you know, like, like that's fine. I'm not, um, I don't want you to come in and agree with everything I think, you know what I mean? That's kind of mm. like would really defeat the purpose of, of what I'm trying to do with this is that I'm trying to have uh, open dialogue and discussion and, you know, um, challenge each other. I really want you to challenge me. You have challenged me. And, and I want to challenge you, you know. I think that's a healthy thing to do. And to do so with respect. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, that being said, um, I actually find it very, very, uh, well, first of all, I want to say, I'm really glad that we get to talk today one-on-one. -on -one because I, I'm glad we get to clear some air. One, uh, not that I don't have enjoy having other hosts and, and such, but then we're trying to also talking to them and uh, I'm just really enjoying this time that uh, we can, we can you know, clarify some stuff. Yeah, because, for sure. Because, uh, yeah, I definitely respect you. I definitely think you have a good uh, tenacity in the way that you're thinking and analyzing things. And I think that is a very, very good analysis uh, of the church and uh, people who uh, who are supposedly representing uh, the faith, you know. So I have the same kind of concerns as you do. Um, I live overseas, so it's it's hard for me to even think in terms of the Christian nationalism, American nationalism. The terms that I think of are totally different, you know. I live in another country. We have socialized medicine here. We don't have guns here. Uh, the fact that you could really, as as an atheist, as a non-believer point out a lot of these things that even Christians don't see um, just inside of the realm of that's kind of like a plot hole I would call it like if you're noticing things about scripture you can see that just, this isn't adding up this isn't adding up from what you're claiming to believe and what you guys are practicing that's quite embarrassing honestly that uh, that you would pick up on that uh, as opposed to people who actually believe it you know that's, I well, it's it's not me picking up on it, right? Like you can go to TikTok or you know Twitter, or any sort of social media, and just look up ex Mormon or ex evangelical, uh, say evangelian, uh, evangelian, um, you know, <laughs> evangelical. <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, ex Baptist. Just just look, you know, look up the hashtags, and mm -hmm. you see story after story after story of young people leaving the church, mm -hmm. basically because the recent, you know, situation has um, enlightened them to the, the, the problems in the doctrine. Mm -hmm. um, and some of them are not becoming atheists. Some of them are moving to other uh, churches, right, that have, um, you know, more faithful uh, tradition, um, you know, something more faithful to the, the teachings of Jesus in, in, the, in the case of Christians, right? So... Um, there are plenty of liberal churches in the United States. You know, my personal uh, perspective on it as an outsider is that the Jesus character is a is kind of a hippie, right? He's a liberal mm -hmm. person. He practices, preaches, preaches love. And um, so, Jeez. yeah. So if you have a church down the road, one of them's, you know, preaching hate, fire and brimstone, and the other one's preaching love and mm -hmm. trying to help people, um, you know, you, people are going to be drawn to that. Uh, certainly more liberal church 
But during that transition, it's very vulnerable time um, for someone of faith, right? It's a crisis of faith. And, and it's mm-hmm. so easy in this day and age to just let go of that baggage, right? And just say, I, I'm done with all of it. I can have love in my heart and not need the church at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's what we're seeing. Um, and I don't, I don't think you really need to take my word for it. Just go look around. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, whenever I was in Europe after uh, I got divorced, uh, I spent a couple months there uh, recovering. And I got to tell you that uh, I saw a lot of churches abandoned. And uh, I think in the Netherlands, they were just like, some of them were museums, some of them were community centers. And I couldn't be any happier to see that as, as an unbeliever. Specifically in Europe, one of the reasons why, and there's many reasons we could go into, but one of the reasons why is they've seen how much the government has actually abused uh, religion as a means to control people. There's a lot of wars, Catholics fighting, Protestants, King George, Anglican church being created. I mean, and this is why as uh, as a believer, I'm, I can pretty much guarantee, I mean, I put money, I'm more secular in my beliefs than, than you are, if you can believe that. Uh, I actually would prefer Christians being persecuted because that would actually bring about stronger belief uh, in Christ. And so when you have the government stepping in and forcing people, it you might think that that's helping religion, but it doesn't at all. It, it turns people off. And, and so, like, here's an example. Okay. Uh, go to Germany, all right? they actually automatically take ties out of your paycheck. You don't have a choice. It doesn't matter if you're mm-hmm. atheist or not. And uh, the only thing you get to do is choose what church it goes to. So, and, and there's a lot of unbelievers there. So when you have that, it's just going to really turn people off to religion. I don't want people being turned off to religion. I don't want people being turned off to Jesus Christ. You know, uh, the, the gospel message is something I've devoted my life to as a missionary. And I just, quite frankly, don't want the government even remotely close to it. That being said, uh, I do want to transition to to our topic, which what we're talking about. But uh, okay, let me ask, first of all, let me ask you a question. At some point of your life, were you a Mormon, or did you um, stand there? Yeah, I. I would say well, at some point in my life, I believed okay. and I was too young to have uh, been able to make any decision otherwise. So I, I was a Mormon. I was raised in the church. Uh, but you had also you had also mentioned um, you had gone to another kind of church, correct? Um, well, my, my my father's family is uh, from Pentecostal background. Okay. So that's um, actually we. Sorry. He he actually uh, converted to Mormonism um, for my mom and uh, really? did go to the Mormon church. Yeah, uh, that's pretty. I mean, it's pretty typical that one spouse will convert, um, even if they don't believe, just to mm. make the other spouse happy. Interesting. Uh, and just real quick before we get into that, um, at what age did you step away from the Mormon faith, and um, what was your family's response to that? Um, you know, it was kind of a slow transition, but I would say that there was, there was a moment where I came out, you know, and I said, I'm, I don't believe I'm not going to church anymore. And that was probably, um, 
Uh, 14 or 15, maybe a little bit later. Um, and my, my immediate family who, who isn't very devout, uh, they, it wasn't a surprise to them at all. Um, cause I'm cantankerous and, uh, they're like, oh yeah, of course, of course, Darrington's the atheist. Right. Um, and, uh, but you know, the, the extended family, which we were very, very close with, um, they, they have this, um, first of all, they were very loving and polite and, and caring. And, um, you know, they send the more, the missionaries to your house, you know, to try and, and save you uh, from your faith crisis. Yeah. And, um, but it, you know, everybody's nice and welcoming. They kind of love bomb you, um, for a while. And then, um, you just kind of always notice in every interaction that you're the outsider. I don't even know if it's conscious. I think it's cause it's super subtle. And then you start realizing all of the little things that like kind of drive you nuts about how the church takes control of people's lives mm-hmm. and the lives of those around you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think by the time I was 18, I was just like completely done with the Mormon faith. Mm-hmm. I was looking for other options. So I did, you know, I studied um, the rest of Christianity, uh, Islam, um, uh, Buddhism, um, you know, just kind of looking for, yeah, like this is, this is the ultimate question. Right. And if it's true, it's the most important thing to know. Mm -hmm. And so So, at what age would you say that you concluded that there wasn't a God and what was the, what was the reasoning behind that? Um, I was probably late, late thirties. Um, only within the last few years have I, have I gone all the way to that end of the scale where I'm just like, uh, that I'm an anti-theist. <laughs> I can't even get away with atheist. Yeah, I, if, if you're an anti-theist, then that, in my, in my mind, in my opinion, uh, it means you actually believe in God and you're just against him. And I actually understand that to a degree. So, um, oh. well, I think. So that there's a lot of different definitions for the word. It, in in the way I phrase it, and at least the way that when I heard it coined, it was by Christopher Hitchens. Right. And Christopher Hitchens' definition of it is against theism, against the religion. Right. So I can be against Voldemort. Um, he's a villain. I don't like him. He's a bad guy. I'm anti-Voldemort. Right. I can be anti-God. I can think he's a villain and be against him. And if he were real, I would rise up you know, and rebel against him because that character, you know, if you read the, especially the old Testament, man, that's some, um, that's some evil stuff, but, uh, but it, 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 either way, I think, I think what Hitchens was trying to get at with the anti-theism is saying that religion itself, not necessarily God, religious, um, the belief that faith is a quality that you would want to have yeah. um, is detrimental to society. So, so and so, so I'm kind of anti-religious faith. So the problem, whenever you say something like that, is uh, is you you equivocate you, you equivocate whenever you're speaking about the word faith because faith does not exactly have. There's lots of different ways to use faith, right? So when you said the first conversation that we should make our 
just value decisions based not off of faith, right? Mm -hmm. That's what you said. It's not like we're just like, okay, let's cover our eyes and let's just go and point to things. So it's, it's really not. So for me, I believe, uh, not 100%, but I do believe that there is a logical, uh, rational, scientific uh, basis for uh, Christianity. Now, if you're going to say, how do I have faith? Um, because some of it doesn't make sense. I'll be flat out. I mean, you're going to, if we were going to hold this standard and you're going to say, do you really, do you really, really believe, do you really believe a billion, you know, a billion galaxies with billions of stars in it pops into existence out of nothing and life arises and look yourself in the mirror? Like I couldn't do that as a, as a, as a, as a non-believer. So I, I, I considered myself a deist for uh, many years. But the reality is, is that um, I would have called myself, at the end of the day, an anti-theist because I positively, beyond any reasonable doubt, knew that God existed. I mean, he, beyond any certainty, proved himself to me multiple times. And I still said, F you, and I'm still going to commit every last blasphemy. I mean, I could show you head to toe. I have all the world religions tattooed on me and I wanted to do drugs and I wanted to be promiscuous. And um, I was rebelling against him and against God, against him, against my parents. So yeah, I just, the problem is, is that whenever we say faith, it can be used in multiple different ways. So if you're just saying like uh, faith is illogical, I don't, find that in the slightest sense of the word that faith is illogical uh it has some illogical elements to it certainly but to think that there's a creator that there's purpose that we uh that we have an ability to reach that creator and this is why i think on an ontological basis belief or christianity any any kind of belief has a more consistent ontological system than atheism because obviously you and i could positively establish this there's no way you and i would ever know one way or another if god doesn't exist because we exist for in in the in the time frame of the universe one second is 160,000 years if, if, if 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 the universe was one day right so we exist boom one tiny speck so you would never make that you'd never be able to make that uh conclusion would you agree with that uh i don't i don't know what i don't know what i'm agreeing to here like so if if time was scaled differently time would be different yeah but uh what no that you couldn't okay so let's be let's be frank with this if you're going to say that god doesn't exist and you think that's a provable position you would have to search uh 14 or i guess it's 80 billion years across 80 billion light years across you would have to do yeah. that for 15 billion years. Right. Or however long, I don't know however long they say the university is. So what I'm saying is I gave the analogy becoming with a straw and you look at, at a movie for a corner for a second and you walk away and you're like, that movie sucks. So, okay. So one, there's that. Second, um, I so I do think that Christianity has a, a basis to at least potentially be proven. Okay. So we say that you can have X, Y, and Z experiences with God if you do X, Y, and Z. And you had mentioned prayer, you know, or I had mentioned prayer, and you said 
well, you have your own thing. Maybe we discuss that topic alone in, in the evil God hypothesis one, but I've seen prayer work, man. I've absolutely seen, but the Bible, the Bible gives certain parameters uh, that you're supposed to pray. And so I said, hey, if you're going to say it scientifically, we've studied this and it doesn't work. And then why doesn't God answer? Uh, uh, why doesn't God uh, stop a hurricane or something like that? You know, and you're trying to pick a hole in it. Uh, you're not even going by the source material that the Bible is actually talking about. So I think at bare minimum, you need to examine the source material and not try to cherry pick it and, and try to find. That's called straw, straw, marrants, ugh, straw manning arguments so i do believe that uh, it can experimental experimentally be proven so getting to the meat of this conversation um from the very first uh, episode that i did with this my first host we took turns trying to poke holes in each other's arguments okay then we turned the guns in on ourselves and um try to find holes in our own arguments you know and i had a heyday with that because there's I mean, there's a lot of stuff I don't understand okay? and just totally doesn't, but doesn't 100% make sense to me. But this is why in the problem of evil one, I said, I would have a much harder time, like much, much, much harder time trying to defend some of the other stuff um, than specifically that one, because that one is, is much more, um, I can rationalize that one a lot easier than I can some of the other stuff. But that being said, in the spirit of empathy to try to see from the other person's perspective, what I want to do today is focus on what do we find the most appealing of the opposite uh, position uh, that you hold. So I want to go first. I've met people from all, I mean, I've traveled the world, so I've met people from all over walks of life and all along the spectrum, you know, so I, I, I'm very careful now to paint people with one brush, right? But a lot of the atheists I know, if you believe that this is your only life that you have, it would put more of a carpe diem-esque urgency on your life. And, and, and we just talked to a guy who you and I interviewed, uh, Robert, uh, who lost his son. And, and I said, in that sense, I think you have a, a very bigger advantage of me, at least in this present lifetime, because you're going to cherish that kiss and that hug, that embrace, more than I am if I think I have eternity spent with this person, you know? In that sense, I really envy that. Uh, I don't believe at all it's true, but I mean, I can, if I look at that objectively, I say, this person has a more immediate advantage than I do myself. So this is why I find atheists to be more physically healthy. So either with exercising or eating healthy, a lot of Christians and a lot of ministers I know, a lot of ministers I know are obese. That's one thing I find very appealing. Oh, can I get your opinion on that? I think it goes a couple of ways on that too. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think it's necessarily that I can appreciate the day more than you. I, I think that if, if all we, if all I have is this much time, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to try and maximize that time. So yeah. Somebody once said like a, a, a vampire never gets anything done because vampires live forever. So they can always put it off till tomorrow. Um, and that's, that's kind of the situation that you find yourself in. Right? Oh my God. I'm also passed out right now. Literally. My, my, um, you know, it's funny, just a really, mm -hmm. really quick, uh, note. I, I just did it someone and, um, 
uh, actually, it's Robert. So I interviewed him again in that episode, and he said that his mom made him get rid of Castlevania because the guy uh, is throwing holy water and it's killing the vampires. Mm-hmm. And so I guess she thought it was sacrilegious. And I was like, Robert, didn't your mom like realize that's badass, man? If holy water is killing like vampires, right. and uh, he's all trying to shut. And I'm like, Darrington knows at this point. If I make a joke, all right, you got to at least give me a sympathy laugh. All right. I'm not a comedian, but at least, <laughs> so anyway, I was joking with him, but that's a hilarious joke there that you said. Uh, but yeah, well, no, it's, I, it's, a, it's just an analogy and it, it, it applies to everything. So, you know, climate change, right? If there is no, or if, if the Bible is true, mm-hmm. the second coming is coming, right? Mm-hmm. There's no reason to take care of the earth. Absolutely. Right. Well, in fact, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. sorry. I shouldn't interrupt you. Um, if, if, if there is nothing, no help coming, there's no cavalry, right. And we're all we got, we better take really good care of our planet. Mm-hmm. That's all. So, yeah. So that is not, that's not, I wouldn't say that's accurate what you said, but I understand why you mm-hmm. would, uh, why you would assume that, uh, because we are, we are called to be stewards of the land the damage we do actually uh, winds up costing people's lives, you know? And, and as Christians, I am very, very against this right wing, like destroy the environment and don't care about it. And flip, because ultimately you're affecting people's lives and you're affecting, affecting people's livelihoods uh, for the sake of money. And the Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I actually got the scripture tattooed on my arm. Uh, and a lot of people say it, Money is the root of all evil. Uh, that's not what the Bible says. Like, you really should quote the source material of the of the things that you're talking about. You know, it says oh, the love of money. Wait, hold on. It says the yeah. love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Things like violence and rape have nothing to do with, with greed. So there's no relationship there. You know, there's um, that's not what it's saying. It's not saying money causes all the evil in the world. It says the love of money causes probably most of the evil in the world Um, because there is a doctrine in in many churches uh there's a doctrine in the bible that that gives man dominion over not stewardship right we are not to be earth's husbands you know this is not husbandry this is domination nature must submit because god has given man dominion over it that's a very different take and that's one of the reasons why a lot of you know, particularly like Protestant Calvinist um, faiths, you know, are so okay with just going out and, you know, collecting all of the resources, cutting down all of the trees, pulling all of the oil out of the ground, you know, fishing all of the fish out of the seas, because that's God's gift to them. Um, so I'm not saying that all all churches put the doctrine of a dominion uh, ahead of this sort of interpretation that that says that we're stewards and husband, you know, the husbands of the of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you can interpret, and people have interpreted the Bible so that it yeah. it is very much like just consume everything because none of it matters. Well, so the the rest of that verse says, "Having quit food and clothes, let us be content." It, it's part of a whole mm-hmm. scripture series that says, "We brought nothing to the world, and we can take nothing out of it." And that, then it says, love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Right. And having food and clothes, let us be content because the pursuit of, of, of worldly wealth 
is the cause of all sorts of problems. That's like the whole context of that. So that being said, I 1000% agree with the point that atheist, if this is the only earth you have, you're going to value it way more than Christians. I'm just saying the idea to abuse the earth, um, I don't find that, I don't find it in my interpretation, but uh, I agree with that point 1000%. One thing that I think uh, religious folks have that atheists probably don't have as much of is per like a feeling of purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, that that sense of of being uh, for something bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And while there's been plenty of ways of obtaining that secularly, mm-hmm. like you could join an organization or or be part of a mission that's bigger than yourself. Um, there's just nothing quite like being on the side of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I that. That's such a powerful motivator. I can understand mm-hmm. why it is uh, really dominated. And let me ask you a question, um, because I, I had, I, I had asked this question inside of a inside of a group. One mm-hmm. person said, um, "Art, the commission of certain kind of artworks, is something they appreciated." Another person said, uh, "Monogamy." That's I wouldn't that wouldn't that one wouldn't even registered in my mind, yeah. um, but I had made a point that if I'm standing from your perspective, the community is something that I would be that I would desire, and uh, someone got like they were mad at me, and I'm like, look, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying, like, if I'm sitting from your perspective, I, I'm trying to empathize, you know. And so whenever I was a non-believer, um, whenever I was a non-believer, I really loved the idea of like a secular church where you'd come together, you'd sing some maybe Michael Jackson songs, um, someone comes up, it gives more of like a motivational um, speech. And I'm not sure if they collect ties, but maybe they'd only give like 5% or 2 You know, they're not, a lot of churches are money hungry, so... I kind of doubt that would be like a main motivation, but maybe they'd collect some money just for, uh, you know, to pay the person for coming up. I'm sure he wouldn't do it full time. Uh, it's probably something they're doing on the weekend. But um, I think, uh, would you, let me ask you a question. Would you ever attend a secular church? Yeah, like have like the, all the realms of like a, a community and spirituality, but just without the God uh like a universalist uh church i wouldn't or, call it universalist no say like when you say secular church it just sounds like um like a uh like an oxymoron um like military intelligence you know <laughs> it, it it i i definitely could see congregating with other seculars for a secular purpose so for instance like let's all get together every saturday or sunday and meet at the community center and do um community work mm-hmm. you know or um organize for some you know higher purpose and and that's what i mean is like these things exist there are secular nonprofits and secular um organizations uh, the the thing that the difference really is ritual um and i think that's kind of what what we'd be missing um the structure is ritual is super super powerful um mm-hmm. psych psychically for for people right it it's a tremendous 
bonding tool. Um, so like in secular organizations, you don't get together and sing hymns. You know, we don't, we don't sing, you know, uh, pop songs together. Right. Right. Well, yeah, we did that once in grade school, right. In the nineties. And that was terrible, but because you have to have some degree of, um, turning off your ego, right? When you're in those environments, you're, you're, you're concerned, you're concerned about the mission, but also you're concerned about yourself and how you're seen, how you're presented. Um, religion with, through its ritual and through its song and its prayer and all this other stuff allows you to kind of get out of your ego and be part of the superstructure of the, hmm. of the congregation. Okay. Okay. I could see that. Did you see the episode we did, I think you did say you saw it, the guy with the, the moose. Moose. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we've had a long, lot of really long talks, sometimes two or three hours. And, uh, and I said, hey, you know what? I don't want you to take this as offense, offense, offensive, but I'm like, I don't see you as like a, like an, what I would call like an intellectual atheist like a Hitchens type or someone who's well researched on it I said you're like the kind of atheist who I'd like want to go have a beer with and have a six-pack I said I want to do like a six-pack like a six-pack uh I, so I told him let's do a series where we just each have like three beers and we just sit down and talk about uh, this kind of stuff the way we would over uh you know a pizza or something and he says that's not at all offensive to me he says that's the truth I'm not like a this deep intellectual person um Knowing his background, uh, his belief in God comes from some horrific abuse that he uh, suffered. I mean, some of the stuff he told me on a more personal level is heartbreaking, you know. And um, but that being said, that being said, um, in order to reject religion and in order to try to justify everything coming into existence out of nothing. You got to deep dig deep, pretty deep into science and quantum, uh, you know, mechanics and philosophy and things like that. So I have found this is not always the case because I'm giving Leo as an example. And mm -hmm. there's unintelligent people from both fields, you know, but I have found, generally speaking, a lot of Christians who I know, they don't understand the basic basic arguing structuring to making up to arguments you know they commit so many logical fallacies uh, even talking to me you know that it's, it's embarrassing and so i can't emphasize this enough not every atheist is intelligent people have sure. people have various reasons why they're an atheist but i have mm -hmm. found them to be yeah. Oh, this is obviously present, companyly excluded. No, I'm saying uh, you, you have a you have a really good example of a non-intelligent atheist right here. Um, salt of the earth, my friend. <laughs> that would be one of the things that I appreciate the pursuit to try to find truth the way that they do. The, one of the biggest problems with, with Christianity or any religion is if you believe you have the truth already, there's no point in going out and seeking it, you know? So I appreciate the inquiry um, to actively be trying to, and that's what science does, you know what I mean? I don't know why Christians, I really don't, I, I genuinely don't understand that um, when you start to talk about things like, uh, like birth control and, and uh, 
climate change and then you know christians just just abruptly just throw science out the door you know what i mean it's, it's like like seriously are we really going to have a discuss, discussion a debate about whether or not the earth is 6000 years old like that is so annoying to me you know what i mean that is so utterly annoying that that's even something that people want to discuss it's like like why should we have to de debate flat earth to any flat earth you know what i mean we shouldn't have to debate that topic so should these things like climate change um evolution even if you didn't have any fossil records dna alone would prove evolution you know what i mean so mm -hmm. i don't understand a lot of christians want to bury their head in the sands and i see atheists more willing to take on the truth and confront it head on not all the time or the absence thereof which i think is a lot of times where we get lost in this is we don't have to always have to have the answers. I don't need to know what caused the beginning of the universe to not believe in God. I just, just, I can just say, well, that's a question. Really important that we answer it. Let's try and figure that out. Mm -hmm. But we don't know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that that's. I don't. I don't think it has anything to do with intelligence, um, and I don't think it has anything to do with. Um, really even somebody's you know, desire for truth. I, I think really what it comes down to is there's two extremes. There's like one, one extreme that believes their faith. They want to put all, all like, you know, the Ken Hams of the world, right? Hmm. It is, the Bible is true because it says it's true and I'm going to build an, an art museum to describe it to everybody. And then there's the other side, which are the Richard Dawkins of the world who are saying, you know, the Bible is false and, um, you know, God doesn't exist and I'm going to build mm -hmm. a museum for that or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then there's most of the people in the middle who just live their lives and they, they, you know, live on one end of the spectrum because they get something out of it that they wouldn't get on the other yeah. end of the spectrum, but they but don't Dar even really think about it. But Darrington, the point I make is whenever I rejected Christianity, um, I had to intellectually go through and dismantle all of the points that I found to be illogical. And in order to do that, I had to challenge my parents. It's as simple mm -hmm. as that, you know. Ironically enough, them getting angry at me, asking questions, just wanting to know the answer to, you know. And for them, it was like you're being rebellious. Like they'd get angry, they'd yell at me. And I'm like, I'm just trying to understand this junk. You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't compute in my mind. I cannot make sense of this. It's not that I don't want to. My mom is basically telling me that if I convert to Islam, she's not going to have a relationship with me. You know, like I'm genuinely trying to figure this out. And so I went along with it. In fact, if you, if anyone is an atheist and walks away from this, from the faith, I got to say, you have much bigger gonads than I did. Um, growing up because I was an atheist and I would still go out and preach um, to make my parents happy. I was so much of a coward that I couldn't just confront it, you know, and that's my own, that's my own path that I went down. And uh, did you ever read the alchemist? I don't believe so. So the guy, I don't give any spoilers, but the guy winds up going around this journey around the world to find something, but he finds in the end that it was underneath him the whole time. And I feel like that was like my journey. I left America, I left my hometown, traveled the world, did everything. 
and then came back and like, wow, this was this was here the whole time. And but I but I couldn't have just accepted it at the time. That's that's the reality is I couldn't have accepted it at the time. But the point being in that Darrington is that I'm not saying you're like like an atheist is smarter. I'm saying you have to challenge you have to challenge the status quo. And that means you have to go against traditional way of thinking. So, you know, if you're going to do that, it means that you're going to have to, you're not just going to go along with the flow is what I'm saying. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You have to challenge it. And for that, I have found generally been probably 80, 90% of the time that the people I interact with are, are, are more intelligent than the average Christians I meet. Because a lot of Christians are just like, okay, all I need is the Bible. It's going to tell me about science and tell me about physics and tell me about biology, about everything, evolution. And this is the only thing I need. And if that's what you do, it's going to close you off to a lot of other ideas, even in other religions, you know? I mean, I've I've studied a lot of other religions. I found a lot of stuff in there that's uh, useful for me as a Christian. Let's say that. And I just want to say, like, we, we take it seriously. And I think that that's the distinction is um, in, in a lot of ways. You know, a lot, a lot of atheists have made it to the point where they're an atheist by trying to take the question seriously mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. being respectful about mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so not always um, respectful. That's definitely not true. They're very disrespectful well, sometimes. But okay, so it depends on what your cultural interpretation of respectful is, right? Because there are people that I know that not being direct and informal to their face is a insult to them mm -hmm. right so i would take insult if you didn't tell me let's say i had a booger on my face and you didn't tell me that there was a booger mm -hmm. on my face mm -hmm. right but but there might be somebody else who would take insult to the fact that you pointed it out um so it's, it's kind of like mm -hmm. what what you can you I can only really be respectful to somebody based off of either what you tell me is respectful to you, which I don't know right off the bat, or I assume that we have some sort of comparable notes of what okay. we we think is respectful. So um, so if Christians, are, well, I'm sorry, let me interject. Christians are equally as guilty of this as atheists. I was let's just be honest. Christians pretend that they're more moral than they are. They pretend that they're more intelligent than they are. And they want to say, if you don't agree with this, then you're just gonna to go to hell and you're gonna burn forever. And uh that's just the way it is. So I know Christians talk down to people. And the last guy who I met who was the we just finished up a podcast, but he was the fifth guy who I met from the anti-theist group, right? He's the last guy who I needed to interview, he's from the UK. He said, I feel bad what those people did to you, but you gotta understand that these people are lumping you in with all the other people who come out there and are rude and disrespectful themselves and just wanna throw scriptures and be judgmental. And uh, that's not my brand of Christianity, no. Like, I'm not a judgmental person, you know? In fact, I hate judgmental people. But it's... After I fly over your head, Jarrington? I, uh... okay. <laughs> no, um, no, but seriously, uh, I don't know. What do you have to say? Because I, 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 I ruined the moment with my joke. No, I, I think we're on the same page about this. I think we're, um, we're saying basically the same thing, is that it is important to be respectful. Um, it's also important to be honest, mm -hmm. and it's hard. Both of those two things are very hard things. They're right. very hard to do, right. and we all slip. 
right? Absolutely. Um, Positively. So that that's the forgiveness piece, which I actually didn't put on my list, but I think, you know, um, we already discussed community, which was in, and beauty, which are the next things on my list. But, um, so really like, like how powerful is it to have this, like, you know, overwhelming forgiveness, like Mm -hmm. source of forgiveness in your life? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I've done a ton of terrible things that I regret yeah, and absolutely. I beat myself up for them all the time. Mm-hmm. And I know I have to forgive myself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but to have a, a framework in which you can have an authority forgive you on behalf of yourself is pretty awesome. Um, something that atheists just do not have. We're, mm-hmm. if, if we need forgiveness, we better hope that we're the forgive, forgiving type. Um, I, yeah, so that's a very, first of all, that's a very good point. Um, I personally, I've told you a bit about my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, there was some more abuse that I don't want to get on in like a, a podcast type setting, but let's just say I had a lot of hatred towards my dad because, uh, as ministers, they were really caught up in helping out other people's children and, the depression I suffered was horrific growing up as, as, as a teenager. I mean, I would drape out my entire, like literally no light, no light could penetrate my room because I would tape out all the windows. You couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. And I would cry and cry and cry for hours. And I remember when I would go to, go to church, I remember my face just being totally red and having to like put a bunch of uh, cold water on my face and then go and look perfect for everyone, man. It was, it actually caused a whole other, actually developed a split personality um, as a result of this Darrington, a split personality that um, like literally became like just an entirely different person inside of me. One of which I was actually able to have an entire conversation with. And I know that sounds crazy, but um, it's, it was a very fight club type scenario where we had like a, like a showdown, like a finale where one of us had to survive and the other one had to had to die. And um, that's like, that's a totally psychological uh, phenomenon. It's in the movie Split, mm-hmm. uh, if you watch the movie. So it's not like at all crazy, but that side of me um, still wants to creep in a lot of times. And it's something I have to keep in check a lot of times. But, but that being said, the amount of hatred I had for my father you can't even, it's incalculable. You can't put it into words. It, it was like, I would literally be overseas drinking and drinking and drinking so I could build the kind of courage to, to call up my dad and, and tell him how much I hated him, you know? And so for me, I felt the only, the only way I could ever punish my dad the way that I felt or hurt him the way that I he hurt me was that if I never talk to him again as an adult and let him know that you weren't there for me whenever I was a kid and I'm not going to be there for you uh, now that I'm an adult. And and uh, I would literally, when I was in Greece, I think I might have told you about this after I got divorced, I went to Greece for a while. But um, it was a daily basis. I just wanted to message him and tell him how much I hated him. And Amazing, after I found Jesus Christ and after finding that forgiveness uh, and for being able to forgive myself for all the junk I've done, um, 
I was able to forgive him and my mother, and I was able to go down to and write a goodbye note and apologize for the stuff I did and forgive her, and I put it into her grave. And uh, my dad is my best friend in the universe right now. I would have never imagined in a million years I would love my dad the way that I, I've come to accept him as it flaws and all. You know, being a father now, mm -hmm. I have a ton of flaws that I'm still working through on a daily basis that I strive to be better for my daughter. If not for me, like my life is my life. Like I'm trying to be better for my daughter, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, good point. Um, if you're an atheist, you don't have to accept the dogmatism that you have to in Christianity. So you don't have to engage in the kind of cognitive dissidence that I have to as a Christian, you know? There's certain things that, as I said, if we were to have a conversation about hell or uh, about some other topics, about isolationism or other religions, and I'm going to defend everything about Christianity, I'm going to have to engage in some serious, serious cognitive dissidence. And I'm going to have to flat out either lie to you or just be totally disingenuous. And that's not what I try to do. You know what I mean? I try to be as honest with you as possible because I respect you uh, as a person. I respect the time that you've taken to, to, to participate. And so I don't want to present sides of myself that are not true. And I don't want to present sides of my religion that aren't accurate. So I would say there's 90%, I would say I understand, but then there's like this 10 or 20% that like, I really cannot make sense of this. Like, I would have to bang my head against a concrete wall to try to make sense of this. So if you don't have to, to me, that would be liberating what I'm saying. If I didn't, I remember when I, when I finally said, I don't have to follow all these rules because Christianity can make you feel very, very inadequate and it can make you feel very sinful. And that could destroy, I feel those feelings on a daily basis, honestly. If you take that off of you and you're like, oh, I'm liberated, man. I don't have to follow these rules. Um, I can uh, create I can create what I think is best for me and so on. And, and I don't have to be dogmatic because I, I can say this is just for me. You know, I can say I can't project that morality onto another person. A lot of times, you know, like with the, the, the gay person, for example, you know. I mean, I know a lot of people who are gay, you know. Um, to me, the last thing in the world I'd ever want to tell someone is that you're going to go to hell if you're the way that you're born, you know? That's not something I want to do. That's not something I feel good about myself about doing, you know what I mean? Or transsexual, you know? As okay. the father of a, a, of a daughter, I have some issues with them maybe wanting to compete with my daughter or entering into a locker room. But on the other hand, I don't want to, like, I don't want to attack them, you know what I mean? I believe they have. We should have rights, and they should have. Uh, they should be left alone by people, for the most part. That's something that I hate. That I have to. I would hate to have to tell. Uh, I, I have friends who are Muslims. Um, I would hate to have to do that. You know what I mean? That's just not something that attacking people. It's not something that I enjoy. You know, I do want to share the gospel of my experience, but it isn't. It is a matter of what. Maybe I only overemphasize the loving part. Um, because that's what makes me more comfortable. But that, that dogmatism, it's, it's not exactly a good feeling all the time, you know? Religion is structured in a way that it can be interpreted broadly. 
um, and people who who want to bring like words like homosexual into the Bible um, are bringing it to the Bible. They're not taking it away from the Bible, right? Um, so like, you know, the structures of punishment. I have I have huge problems with structures of eternal punishment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, the mm -hmm. the the concept of hell is uh, probably the, the 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 prime example of the evil god like uh, situation like uh, and and people can explain that away too but it essentially it's punishment it's a punishment for being how you are right and and in, in a lot of cases especially for um, sexual and uh, gender issues it's completely like, if it's if that was part of God's plan, part of God's plan was sending those folks to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So um expletive insert expletive here. But anyway, um I do I do just want to say that I think we should just get rid of gender separation in bathrooms and locker rooms and sports in general. I think, you know, if we got rid of if if we got rid of our taboos about gender proximity, we wouldn't have this problem. Everyone would just be okay with genders being mixed in circumstances. And then the idea of a transgender is it, it becomes part of that fluid process. Well, I don't want to go, I really don't want to go into the rabbit hole, but I will say this yeah. in South Korea, as you're entering into bathrooms, they have like, I wouldn't call it a unisex, but they have individual people stalls at the beginning because. We're never, if you think that a, that, a, that a man should enter into bathroom with my daughter, then we're just, we're never going to agree on that point. Sure. But that doesn't mean I don't think that they should have to go around people that they would be uncomfortable themselves, you know? Um, I wouldn't be comfortable with it. But in South Korea, there's an option where you have these unisex stall, stalls in the entrance. They're mostly for handicapped, but Francis, even if we just did that, say, let's make them all uh unisex uh make them so all unisex and individual individual stalls right. individual exactly. stalls is what I'm exactly saying. um yeah i don't want to I, I would i'd actually love to go down that rabbit that's another conversation if you want yeah because i am actually someone who suffered from body dysmorphia and bid uh growing up as a kid and i know i know that's a very real and very uncomfortable thing to have to you so um I can say, objectively speaking, I don't exactly agree that people should be making those kind of transitions on a personal level. But on the other side, it's like, dude, this is a real thing. This is a real psychological thing. We need to be sensitive to these issues. You know, we need to take care of these people. We need to make sure that their rights are being protected, that they're not being abused. So I, th I think the kind of stuff I see coming out from Christians, unfortunately, just mm -hmm. makes my cringe i mean if i told you how many times i was calling a faggot or a freak growing up it would blow your mind you know what i mean because people thought i was gay because of this issue and um i was just ridiculed horribly so that's just why i naturally empathize with people who are uh, transsexual or uh homosexual because i know what it's like to have the rest of society uh abuse you you know what i mean and so it's a horrible feeling, man. I, I, I would understand why I let them commit suicide and why they suffer due to depression. And so for that reason, I believe that uh, we need to be happy. Even if we disagree, 
we can disagree with love, you know? Because I do disagree. I do disagree with it. But on the other flip side of that, I got to say, this is a delicate issue. We talk to these people in a disrespectful way. It could literally mean the difference between them living and dying. So, like, just take a step back. Let's approach it slowly. Let's try to provide an environment where everybody um, everybody is treated with respect. And, you know, we're going to have to make some compromises. It's as simple as that, though. You know, not everybody can have their way 100% of the time. And I think that's that's a big problem, maybe just Christianity in general, if you're trying to get your way 100% of the time and there's no compromise, you know, that can cause a very big problem. So uh, the last one that I had was was really just kind of like beauty and the, the existential experience of of having faith. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, not not necessarily aesthetic aesthetics like the churches have, are really good at aesthetics they build the big cathedrals and everything's designed to give Temples. you yeah to, to 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 spark that sense of beauty inside of you and the sense mm -hmm. of glory but when you have a real religious moment um i think that there's a beauty there that is very difficult to find mm -hmm. in the secular world um like you know I, I can i can imagine it in very rare instances um mm -hmm where I would have a secular version of sort of the feeling of uh, the Holy Spirit or the spirit of glory inside you. Um, yeah. So that's my last one. And you know what? I, I've seen some of those Mormon temples, man. Those things, maybe Mormons make the greatest uh, buildings, honestly, <laughs> now that I think about it. Um, I will say this. Whenever I was in Turkey, I have this I had this amazing shot of me in front of the Hagia Sophia, and I had this camera that, would allow you to take like a 360 shot. Mm -hmm. And so to one side, there's the Hagia Sophia. And then to the other side, there's the Blue Mosque, which I believe uh, Liam Neeson totally destroyed and taken part two. He, was bl he blew up half of Istanbul in that movie. But it was very beautiful before he blew it up. So that was wow. an amazing scene. Uh, but yeah, I, I get that. Um, I get why you'd say that. And just real quick, we don't have to explain these. I just want you to say the top three, if you take a step back and say, now examine this from the other side of the coin, right? So, so, so for instance, if I was an atheist, I would say maybe the three things I would value the most is I think the community, because I know how strong of a community um, we can have. And people become like family, you know? They're just like mm -hmm. family, family. Right. Actually, a lady in our church um, just talked to my dad today. They just buried uh, her son today. He committed suicide. And um, he's he was like, yeah, it's a very sad story. And uh, the way that my dad was telling that the church came and provided them, you know, food every day at uh, that time, uh, that's something I would envy if, if I didn't have that. You know, when my mom died, the church mm -hmm. brought over. We had, we had, my dad had to tell them to stop bringing food because they're bringing so much food for us. But I think there's that. Um, I think the taking out the guesswork and trying to fit, like having an authority tell, and that's, that can be bad, but at the same time, it's like, okay, now I don't have to go out and try to figure out everything. But if I have someone out just giving me the answers, that in a sense would be more desirable. And finally, it would probably be the belief in an afterlife because if my daughter uh, did die um, and I, 
I I have the utmost respect for that Robert character, man. I he, he's coming on on a monthly basis, but that guy is a, is an incredible human being, incredible human being. I hope he's listening to this. But uh, I would rather believe a lie. Let's just say that I would rather believe if that was the reality. I I don't see how I could ever function again. So that guy is just light years beyond. And maybe I would be able to deal with it in the moment. I can tell you right now, um, I can't imagine myself functioning if that were to happen. So, mm-hmm. if I, if I were Christian, this is getting what confusing. would be? This is yeah. If if I were Christian, what would I appreciate? So adaptability. You know, these this is going to overlap with your list very well. Okay. Um, I what I what I cannot handle about religion in general is dogma where you know you have these doctrines they are immutable they are handed down from god and therefore in the light of new evidence we cannot challenge them um so that uh, that is the single biggest light that the atheism has uh i think is that we're just uh open right we can rewrite our rules at any point we can cherry oh yeah 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 yeah. best uh, we could cherry pick the best morals that we want um we can't necessarily cherry pick the facts, but we can adapt to new facts. Um, responsibility. Oh. Go ahead. You no, please, please, please. Well, I just wanted to say real quick that um, it's probably not as much as you would assume because the religious folks in the New Testament thought the same exact thing. And Jesus came and flipped everything upside down. So yeah. I believe something very similar like that is happening um, now because... Uh, well, I don't want to go down too much, but let's just say I I don't think it is as immalleable as you as you might believe that it is. And uh, well, let me we just talk about that. Yeah, let me just time. say that Jesus is welcome to come and personally inform me that I'm wrong. Okay, let's, let's just I'll put that out there. You okay? If Jesus comes and personally informs me that I'm wrong, I would be happy to change my mind, and All I would right. do it in a heartbeat. Touche. Um, responsibility. So like. I think that because we don't believe that there is a plan mm-hmm. um, and, you know, we don't believe that there's anything looking out for us or watching over us, we have to take responsibility mm-hmm. for ourselves mm-hmm. and for mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Absolutely. like, Absolutely. I, re- I really like, I was reading uh, the other day, someone saying, like, uh, and I think he was preaching to, to a religious organization, and he said, mm-hmm. you know, when you come across somebody who's injured, or who needs help, be as the atheist. Don't just pray to God for to help them, help them. Um, you know, take it upon your own rights and be God's work in this world as opposed to just praying for it. And that's kind of that's kind of the idea, right? Is like we're going we're just gonna roll up our sleeves and do his job for him. That's um, uh I I just do have to interject uh because that's mm-hmm. very, very uh inaccurate because okay if you take a look at um matthew 25 basically a bunch of christians get up in front of jesus and he's like uh yeah you guys are going to hell and they're like why and they're like uh he's like well when i was hungry you didn't feed me whenever i was in jail you didn't visit me so yeah i don't think i'm 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 game to listen to any criticism you have but that one is not so, actually, so, so, so it's not. This is not a criticism against religion. This is mm-hmm. this is saying that if if an 
if I were a Christian and mm -hmm. I would look, be looking at atheism and I say atheism is forced to act like this. They have no other choice. Right. So th there are pr plenty of Christians here who can say that, um, you know, preach Jesus's words and then lock up children at the border. Right. And and not want to help these refugees from South America, you know, mm -hmm. that are mm -hmm. coming to us for help. Right. So so they're pushing them away completely against Jesus's teaching. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Whereas I, I think while the atheists can kind of do some mental gymnastics to to hate the other, I think it makes it really, really hard to not say to not be able to say, well, some somebody's got to do something. Mm. You know, this is a this is a total rabbit hole, rabbit hunting. But who do you think would be more likely to be? Because this is a genuine question. This is a, literally a genuine. This is not a gotcha question. Who do you think would be more likely to be racist, uh, a believer or uh, an atheist? I think honestly, it's it's much easier. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian, you know, whatever whatever your religion is. It, it, if you are religious, it is much easier to be prejudiced because no, you have a natural racism, specifically racism, mm -hmm. right? Um, but also other prejudices, right? Any it it it's a easy way to separate the in group from the out group, right? Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, you know, it it seeps into a lot of situations. It's 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 almost harder if you're being completely secular to not be held accountable for being racist. And I'm not saying that there aren't racists in the secular community. I know that there are, um, but it's, it's so much easier to call somebody out for it because mm -hmm. they don't have the armor of God to hide behind. And at least I could just tell you from a Christian perspective, that makes absolutely zero sense because uh, from the Bible it says we're all, uh, in fact, if Paul says that, uh, there's no longer male or female or Jew or Gentile or Scythian or Greek. And so we're all like children of God. So, I mean, I understand mm -hmm. there's racist Christians. I know a lot of them. Trust me. I know a lot of them. Let's just say there's probably more racist Christians, but that doesn't mean that they're acting consistently within the Bible. Let's just say there's kind of a compromise. The atheists I've met have been humanitarians. So if you're a humanitarian, that's not something you're likely to engage in. You're likely to want to engage into uh, volunteer work and understanding empathy. Um, the level of respect I've, uh, I'm gaining for you is uh, very high. You, you, as I said, if I already kill you on on the intellectual battlefield, I would allow you to commit uh, harakiri and disembowel yourself. Um, <laughs> well, it, it would be my honor to do so if you were to <laughs> defeat me. Well, I was gonna say, uh, if if you respect the person, you allow them to do that. But if not, you <laughs> they could do it. <laughs> anyway, that as you know, it's not my intent. It's not. Um, I'm glad we were able to clear some around some stuff. And uh, in the future, um, just to get this out there, you had mentioned like uh, after we had a little blip, um, you were like, "Oh, maybe I should come on." I'm like, "Darrington, in in the long term of things, man." I'm actually 10 times more grateful that we have that experience to where we can learn from it. You know, we can take a step back. I can't even tell you probably I was more upset with myself, the way that I responded. I, mean, I was upset with you that you pushed me to the point that I would respond that way, you know? And I, and I took a step back and I'm like, I'm not acting consistently with the values that I'm claiming here, you know? 
And um, so I would give you a little, I'm just, this is such a, this is such a, um, I'm just three o'clock in the morning here. This is such an important issue to me. And um, uh, no one, I, I certainly am not someone who operates with consistency in everything I preach, you know? I'll be the first to admit that. So when I don't act, when I act in ways that are counterintuitive to what I'm proclaiming, it, it, it grieves me, you know? It's not what I want to be. And, um, but I look forward to many, many more talks with you, brother. I think yeah, we're on the here. same side here. So uh, that being said, we want to thank you for joining us today at RIG Podcast. And we look forward to seeing you back again. And y'all have a good night. Bye.